Now, last week we started a series that was called Foundations. A foundation is a necessary structure upon which something is built. And we said last week that who Jesus is and what Jesus taught is the foundation of the church. And Jesus has given us foundation stones with which we can build his church. So we're going to talk about those foundation stones again this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the, the miracle of technology that we can, um, Lord, be together, uh, even if we're not physically together. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would unveil to us and reveal to us this foundation stone of, of the mission of the church, that, that we can be engaged in your work, God. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning a blessing on every individual, every family that's watching with us this morning, whether they're near or far. We just pray, God, that you'd keep them safe and put your blessing on their lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so last week we looked at, at one foundation stone uh, to build God's mission, to build his church. And the, the foundation stone we looked at last week was this. Uh, lost people matter to God. Lost people, spiritually lost people matter to God and therefore they should matter to us. We talked about the oikos principle. O oikos is a Greek word that means house or household or family. And we said that God has supernaturally and strategically placed you in relationship with people so that you can share Christ with them. We talked about the fact that uh, Jesus told three consecutive parables in Luke chapter 15, a parable of a lost sheep, a parable of a lost coin, and a parable of a lost son. And, and he told those three parables to teach the Pharisees that lost people are important, that lost people matter to God and they should be important to us as well. And from that, those three parables, we draw three truths. Number one, um, we should take personal responsibility for those in our oikos, those in our relational world. And we should feel personal anxiety. In other words, we should feel tension if they don't know the Lord. Like what, what's gonna happen to them eternally if they don't come to know Christ? And we talked about the fact that we should, we should make personal sacrifice for those in our relational world in order to bring them to Christ. And we, I, I said, we need to have a whatever it takes attitude, whatever it takes to bring them to Christ. That's what we need to be willing to do because lost people matter to God. And then I, I gave you, uh, we, we gave all of you an Oikos prayer card and I asked you to take that home. And, and I asked you to write down the name of every person in your Oikos, every person in your relational world that doesn't know Christ. They're near to you, but they're far from God. How did you do with that assignment? Did, did you do that this week? If not, would you do that? Would you, if you don't have this prayer card, just write it down on something you can stick in your Bible. The, the names of each person in your world that doesn't know Christ and pray for them regularly that God would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. Our mission here at Central is to, to help you share the love of Jesus with your relational world. And it all comes down to this. It all comes down to oikos. So the, the first foundational truth that we talked about last week was lost people matter to God. The, the foundational truth that we're gonna stone, foundation stone we're gonna talk about this week is this. Every Christian is in the game. Every Christian is supposed to be in the game. Now, most people's concept of church is that only a few people are in the game, right? I mean, we, we, we come to church on the weekend and, you know, someone is leading the singing. Maybe a few people are playing instruments. 
one person gets up and, and preaches a sermon. There might be, a, depending on the size of your church, a handful of people that, that give a Bible lesson to our children. And then everyone goes home feeling like they just watched everything that was happening. And, and you know, the, the, the reality is the closest we, we get to being in the game for some of us is maybe putting money in the offering or singing a song. And that's, that was never God's intention for, for Christians. See, see, if you're a Christian, God's intention for you is that you don't, you don't sit in the stands or stand on the field. No, you're, a, you're supposed to be a participant, not a spectator. God wants you to be a player, not a fan. So, so let me ask you a question this morning. As you think about your Christian life and getting in the game, getting in God's game, does your Christian life look more like this or like this? Does it look more like this or this? As a Christian, is your life more reflected in this or in this? <laughs> that looks pretty old school to me, those uniforms, but I had to just brag a little bit on our Augie athletes this morning, Kaya and, and Matt Chitty and, and Logan Utech this morning. They're great kids. They attend Central and they love the Lord and um, they're doing a great job. But are you, a, are you a, a spectator or are you a player? Are you in the game? Or are you on, on the sidelines? And see, God never intended for you to be on the sidelines. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be in the game. That, that's the hope. So how do we know that God wants every Christian or that every Christian is supposed to be in the game? I want to give you three quick points this morning that you can chew on and you can think about. The, the first reason is this. Jesus gave us gifts. Jesus gave us gifts. Now in Ephesians 4, Paul uses a, um, a, a, a concept in, in, the, in the, the ancient world of, of warfare. And he, and he talks about uh, a king that would go to war with another nation. And in Ephesians 4, he, he uses this and he applies it to Christ. But when kings would go to war, if they would conquer the nation that they were attacking or at war with, the king would then bring back captives. He would chain them up and bring them back to his country. And he would then, uh, in chains, parade them down the street of his city or of his country for two reasons. Number one, to show his utter dominance now over that nation or over that country. Second thing was to show their, their utter humiliation. The second thing that, that Paul brings to surface in Ephesians 4 about this, this ancient practice of warfare was that the king would have plundered the wealth of that nation when he, when he conquered them. And, and then in bringing that, those people back to his homeland, he would have taken some of that wealth and, and distributed it to his own people as a sign that, that they could now participate in his victory. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 30 with King David. David and his army had defeated the Amalekites and they, they brought them back and he brought the wealth back and he distributed some of the wealth to the people. In other words, the people then were able to share in the victory or participate in the victory of the king. And, and Paul says the same thing happened with Jesus when he went to the cross, died, and then was resurrected from the dead. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, we read this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives and he gave gifts to people. 
Now, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all in all. So that's a quote from Psalm 68 where it's talking about about God conquering his enemies. And Paul says essentially what's happened is Jesus conquered death and hell in the grave. And and when it says he descended into the lower parts of the earth, it probably is a reference to the realm of the dead and the spirits that ruled the dead. And Jesus conquered them. And and Jesus then paraded them somehow through the universe to, to show his utter victory over them and their utter defeat that Christ had conquered them. And we we look in in, uh, Colossians chapter two, verse 15, Paul says the same thing in a little different way. He says, "When, when Jesus had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, triumphing, triumphing over them through the cross. Okay, so we said that the king would bring the captives back and parade them and, and that Jesus did that. The second thing we said was the king would give gifts to his people. And like a king, Jesus gave his people gifts so they could participate in his victory. And Ephesians 4, 7 says this, but to each one, to each Christian, uh, each one of us, grace was given. So if you're a Christian, Jesus has given you grace uh, according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there we see Christ the King, uh, Paul saying he not only conquered his enemies and, and utterly humiliated them and defeated them, but he now gives gifts that he shares with his people so that we can participate in his victory. We now share in the victory of Christ and, and we are now essentially in the game. Now, now listen, the, the word uh, grace there, uh, to each one of us grace was given, is, is the Greek word charis or charis. And it means divine enabling or strength or divine ability. So Jesus gives us gifts to do his work. He empowers us. Now, here's the cool thing. The the, the measure of the grace that he gives is always in proportion to the measure of the calling or the gift. I, I like what Frank Thielman says about this. He says, Christ measures out to each believer the right amount of power that's necessary to accomplish the task that the gift or the calling requires. In in other words, whatever God calls us to, he provides the necessary power for. We can never say, I can't do what God has called me to do because scripture says he's given you the necessary grace. No, no matter what he asks you to do, no, no matter what he, area he asks you to serve or what he asks you to go through, He's given you the grace to accomplish whatever he he calls you to. And so everyone gets gifts from Jesus. Every Christian gets gifts because every Christian is supposed to be in the game. You're supposed to be participating with Christ. Now, I want to go back to a quote, a quote by um, Paul David Tripp in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. This This is so important to us as Christians, understanding what God has called us to. Let's read that together. He says, your life is much bigger than a good job and understanding spouse and non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, lost humanity, transporting them into his kingdom and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you 
to be a part of it. He wants you to be in the game. God is doing something so big and so far beyond us, and yet he invites us to be a part of that. See, every Christian is in the game, whether you know it or not. And the three reasons that he tells us, number one is Christ gives us gifts. He gives us gifts because we're supposed to participate in the game. The the second reason that we know that all Christians are supposed to be in the game is that uh, Jesus makes us priests. Jesus makes us priests. Now, Now think back to the Old Testament with me for a minute. What was the role of a priest? The priests were the ones that did God's work. The priests were the ones that took care of the temple. The priests were the ones that worked in the tabernacle. The, the priests were the, one that, the ones that made the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices for the people when they brought their animals. The priests were the ones who full-time did God's work. The priests were the one who went to God on behalf of the people. They, they interceded. The, the priests would have been those today that we say they're in full-time ministry. They're, they're the ones that are always doing the work of the Lord. Here's the amazing thing. Jesus says every believer is a priest. That's craziness for some of us, but that's what he says. Let's look at a a few scriptures this morning. Revelation chapter one, verses five and six. Jesus is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all of the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests The church, Christians, we are a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Next scripture, 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone, foundation of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for a great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Listen, what's more? Everybody say, what's more? What's more? You are his holy what? priests. You are, if you're a Christian, you're his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God, just like the priest did in the Old Testament. You are now a priest offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Next scripture, uh, verse 9 of that same chapter. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. One more scripture, Romans chapter 15. Paul says, I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God. Now, Paul speaking as an individual in the church, as a Christian, God gave me grace, the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering as a what? as a priest. Now, now Paul never called himself a priest. Paul was an apostle. Priest was kind of an Old Testament term. But Paul says, I'm, I'm filling the function. I'm, I'm filling the role of an Old Testament priest, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So some of you, depending on the, your spiritual background, you're saying, wait, what? I'm a priest? Do I have to wear a weird collar? Like, what, what, what does that mean for me that I'm a priest? You know what? It's, it's crazy for some of you because if you grew up in the Catholic Church or maybe the Episcopal Church, I mean, the priest, he was the holy man, right? 
I mean, he, he, he was totally different than everybody else. He led the mass. He, he, did, he, he did the homily. I mean, he, he was the man. And for, it's almost sacrilegious for you to, to think, well, I'm a priest. I didn't go to school. I'm not educated or any of that. But, but yet you are. Because he wants you to know that you are called to ministry. You, you are called to serve the purposes of God. So in that sense, you, you are like the priest. Or, or for us Protestants, just think of the word pastor. Like that's kind of mind-blowing. If he said, all of you are pastors, you'd go, well, wait a second. I didn't go to Bible college. I'm not theologically trained. I don't, I don't know what to do. But if, if you think about what a priest or a pastor does, some of those things are what we're supposed to do. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But if you're a Christian, you're a priest. Whether you're young or old, whether you're male or female, whether you're a new believer or whether you're a mature Christian, if you're in Christ, you are a priest expected to serve him and his purposes. The third reason, not only Jesus gives us gifts and not only does Jesus make us priests, but Jesus sends us out. Hey friends, it's getting more wild by the minute. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is getting more wacky and crazy for some of us that, that, that have never read these scriptures and understood this. I'm telling you, just, just listen to me for a minute. Jesus sends us out. Listen to John 14, 12. Jesus is talking. He says, I tell you the truth, Anyone who believes in me, say, say anyone. Okay, if you're sitting in the living room right now, if you're a Christian, that's you. You're the anyone that he's talking about. Anyone who believes in me, the same works, I, this is Jesus talking, the same works I have done and e, you will do, let me back up. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father that just means when I go to the Father, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Okay, listen, Jesus said this. He who believes in me, anyone who believes in me, the works that I did when I walked the earth, you will do, and even greater works. Now, I don't think that means more spectacular works, that, that we're going to do more than raise the dead or, or heal or what. I, don't th I think it means because the Holy Spirit is in every Christian and there's Christians all over the world, there's going to be way more works. There's going to be greater works done by the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, like, think about that just, just for a second. What did Jesus do? What were his works that he's talking about? He said every Christian would do the very things he did while on the earth. What did he do? He healed the sick. He released the afflicted, the possessed, and the addicted. He fed the hungry. He preached the gospel. He loved the outcasts. He worked miracles. He gave grace to sinners. He broke the power of shame over people's lives. He walked on water, he cursed fig trees, he opposed injustice, and he healed the broken. Friends, listen, I, I know it's cold outside, it's warm inside, but listen to me for a second. We get to do the stuff that Jesus did. We get to do the works of Jesus. We get to, we get to see the sick made well. We get to see the, the, the lost found. We get to see the broken made whole. We get to feed the hungry. We get to care for people in life. We get to give, offer grace to sinners. We get to break the power of shame over people's lives through the power of Christ. We get to release the captives, the addicted, the oppressed. We, we get to, through Christ and his power, help set people free. You, you, friend, you are in the game because Jesus has sent you out to do his work. 
It's time for us to see ourselves as players and not spectators and to get into the game. So, so as I end this morning, some of you are wondering maybe, where's the game being played? If I'm in the game, where is the game that I'm playing? It's not on a football field. It's not on a basketball court. Where is the game? Well, two answers to that. The first answer is in the church. The game's being played in the church. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, just a few verses later from what we read. 11 and 12. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, those would be leaders in the church, those with unique gifts that God gave to, to, to leaders, so that the body of Christ, I'm sorry, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up. Okay, so let me, let me just communicate what is being said here. Christ gave to the church some leaders called apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip all of the, all of the Christians to do the work of ministry. Not, not so, so I'm a pastor, I'm a leader in the church. My job is not to do all of the work of ministry in the church. My job is to equip you. My job is to let you know that you're supposed to be in the game. My job is to help you share your faith with other people. My job is to help you understand how to pray for the sick. My job is to communicate to you and help you become everything you're supposed to be as a priest. Everything you're supposed to do to get in the game. So, so the leaders of the church equip everyone in the church to do the work of ministry so the church is built up for the building up of the body of Christ. If you are a Christian, you are to be equipped to do the work of ministry in the church. You're in the game. My job is not to do all of the work. Our staff's job is not to do all of the work. It's to equip you, help you, train you to do the work of ministry so the church can be built up. So, so here's my suggestion to, to get in the game. Number one, find a place in the church where you can use your God-given gifts. Find a place where you can serve, wherever that is. Get in the game. Use the gifts God has given you to serve the church. And, and if you're not serving in the church, for sure you need to get into a life group. You need to get into a small group of people, a small community where you can pray for those people, you can love those people, you can encourage those people, you can help those people, you can care for them when they're sick. You, you need to be serving a group of people in the church, helping them grow in their faith, helping them mature in Christ. So get into a small group, get into a life group so that you can serve the body of Christ and use the, your gifts in a small group and find a place in the church where you can serve. Get on the tech team, get on the worship team, get in a life group, be a life group leader, teach our children, teach our youth, greet at the doors, do something to use your gifts to build up the body of Christ. Well, where else is the game being played? It's being, it's being played in the church, but it's also being played in our oikos. That, that's where most of our, our work gets done. A couple of verses here that Paul says, Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Paul says, live wisely among those who are not believers, who are not Christians. That's your oikos. Live wisely among your oikos and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Watch what you say. Be attractive. Be, be, be the kind of person people want to follow. But, but think about how you live your life out in the world among your oikos. 
One more verse, Mark 5, 18 and 19. I've told this story before. Jesus had, had healed a, a, a demon-possessed man who was severely demon-possessed. And the demon-possessed man wants to go with Jesus back to Galilee to be with him. And here, here's what happens. Jesus was getting into the boat and the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family. Go, literally, go to your oikos. And tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. He doesn't say, come with me. He says, go to your oikos. That's where the game's being played. It's in your relational world. It's at work. It's at school. It's in your neighbor. That's where the, most of the game is being played. I, I just want to remind you this morning, most of what Jesus did when he walked the earth was not in the synagogue. Jesus was in the synagogue one day a week. Most of what Jesus did when you read the Bible, when you read the New Testament, was out in public. It wasn't in the church. So your primary responsibility, your, your primary playing field is out in the world. It's out in public. It's with the people in your relational world that, that are near to you but far from God. Like that's the field that we've got to start playing on. So, so we step into the game when we're at Starbucks or when we're at school, or when we're at work, talking with people in our oikos. We, we step into the game when we take a minute and, 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 and as we talk to people and we come across a need in their life that we stop and in the moment we pray for them. That's getting in the game. You get into the game when you pray for people at work or at school or in your house, wherever you come across a need, that's playing the game. We, we get into the game when we visit someone that's in the hospital Someone in your relational world, you, you stop by the hospital and maybe even pray for them there. That's getting in the game. When we, when we help someone in our oikos move, <laughs> that's not one of my favorite things, but when we serve them that way, uh, that, that's a way that we get in the game as we build relationship with them. When we, when we go to a funeral to support someone in our oikos, when, when we pray for all of those people on our oikos cards as often as we can, that's getting in the game, man. You're, you're praying for those people that, that don't know the Lord. When we have people over to our house that are in our relational world, that's getting in the game. When we, when we coach youth sports and build relationships with the parents, that's what my wife and I did when our kids were younger playing sports. We'd, we'd coach a team and then we'd get to know the parents and then, and then we'd invite them to church. That's the game. The game just doesn't happen all that much in church as much as in the world in everyday life. When we tell our oikos how God has changed our life, we're in the game. When we sit and listen to those who are depressed or suicidal and we listen and love them, that's getting in the game. Man, that's caring and that's doing the works of Jesus. When we invite people to church or to church events, that, that's getting in the game. So friends, all of that today to say the second foundation stone that we're talking about after lost people matter to God and they should matter to us is every Christian is in the game. If you're a Christian, man, you, you've got to get into the game. So are, are you in the game or are you standing on the sidelines? Let me just say this. There's nothing more exciting in life than getting in God's game. Every day you get to step onto the playing field and do God's work. So here's why we understand that, because Jesus gave you gifts. Jesus made you a priest. Jesus sent you out to do his works. Every Christian 
is supposed to be in the game. So here's my exhortation on this cold Sunday morning in January. Get out of the sidelines, get out of the stands, and get into the game and begin to be everything God's called you to be. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can gather this way online and, and still worship and still receive your word. And Lord, I pray for everyone listening to me, everyone that knows you this morning, God, that they would recognize the two playing fields that they need to step into, the, the playing field of the church and the playing field of their oikos. I pray that they would remember this morning, Lord, that, that you have given them gifts to play in the game. You've given them grace. We can never say, I can't do it because the measure of the grace always is enough for the measure of the gift or call. And Lord, help us this morning to realize that, you, that you've not only given us gifts, you've made us priests and you've sent us out. So Lord, help us to be effective in our, in our ministry as priests. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Have a great Sunday today. We will look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.